Welcome to the Serious Security Seminar for January 27th. Today, I'm honored to bring you our very own uh, Elisa Bertino. Uh, Professor Bertino is uh, one of the most prolific and distinguished professors in security area. She's a fellow of the ACM, fellow of the IEEE. She serves as research director for Sirius. And uh, I think uh, unquestionably the biggest name in database security. Uh, so with okay. that, let's turn it over to Lisa. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon to everyone. I'm very pleased to be here to give this talk. Uh, feel free to ask questions while I talk. Now, uh, the title of my talk uh, should really be security with privacy, okay? Which uh, makes a certain difference with respect to security and privacy. This will be clear later on why. So today, uh, we have a lot of technology to collect the data. And because we have already possibilities to capture data from uh, web uh, transactions, e-commerce, purchases that customers do at the department. But we can also more and more capture data from social networks as a lot of interactions take place on those uh, social media. Um, we have a lot of surveillance systems and devices. And especially today, we see a lot of embedded sensors, embedded systems, which will be able to capture data from the environment. And actually, even the human body will soon become a major source of data. If you think about the well-being devices, really even uh, we will generate a lot of data. And the Internet of Things is another major trend where we see huge uh, unprecedented capabilities for capturing data. Now, IoT is very interesting because in addition of uh, being able to capture data, IoT, many IoT devices can also act on the environment. This is the case when you have devices which are actuators, so they modify the environment. And there uh, we will have other problems in addition to privacy, about <coughs> which I'm talking today. We see increasingly the use of drones, which opens a lot of new applications, but it has, again, a lot of critical problems associated with that. However, not only we can collect a lot of data, but we can also store this data. We have a lot of um, high-performance storage systems, and Purdue, for example, has many facilities supporting the storage of, of research data. So we can store this data without having to pay really high costs. We can also efficiently process uh, this data. Even though, of course, there is a lot of research going on, uh, we, can, uh, we have uh, a lot of research going on in the area of uh, uh, machine learning data mining, which would allow us to extract meaningful knowledge from huge amounts of data. Of course, there uh, one of the challenges is how to do this uh, data mining, uh, machine learning uh, quickly, because so, sometimes you need the real-time information. So having said that, uh, we can say that we live in a very exciting area where we, th this uh, technology would allow us to really amass uh, these huge data sets. And this excitement, you can see it everywhere. Industry has been talking about big data since many years already. So big data is not something we just came up in the last few years. And there are many different definitions. 
One of them which I like particularly is the one that we see by IBM and where big data is defined having data with high volumes but also a variety. The idea here being that not only we capture record-oriented data but we can capture, we can process, analyze videos, images, text, unformatted text. For example, there are techniques by which people are able to analyze blogs, extract the meanings, even looking at the messages people send. Now we have techniques to even do sentiment analysis, which we can infer is this user happy or is unhappy, is he complaining and so forth. We have a velocity and this in particular will be true when we will deploy all this huge IoT technology and this means that the data instead of being processed on batches will be continuously processed uh, which again has a lot of challenges in terms of data management and data execution however there is a very important uh, additional characteristics and this is important because uh, really will be very relevant for privacy the idea being that big data is also multi-source so the idea being that the real value of big data comes when data that you use, that you pull together, comes from many different sources. Because this, uh, if you are interested in exploring a certain phenomenon of interest or an event, you get uh, multiple views, you get more information. Therefore, you can have better uh, quality information, more comprehensive view of, of the event or, or objects or entity you are observing. So remember, uh, in many cases, big data is, only is obtained by aggregating these many different data sources, which has, however, some implication. Now, um, today everyone is looking uh, about the use of big data, because uh, everyone, organ every organization has understood that they're really getting, keeping this data is useful, and everyone is wondering what can we do with them with this data. Keep in mind that in many cases the goal is to, you know, make some, obtain revenues out of this data. In other cases, however, really we are interested in very societal important application. So let's look about some use of big data. The first, and I talk for security, I refer mainly to security here. This uh, use of data for security doesn't refer only to cybersecurity, it refers to various forms of security. So let's start with cybersecurity. Cybersecurity refers to how to secure the cyberspace, how to secure uh, our data on, uh, on our computer system, the privacy of, of, our, of our online activities. And today we have uh, tools and products which are used for cybersecurity and they rely on collecting a lot of data. So a classical example is a category of products known as a SIM. Those are security information and event management systems typically deployed in large enterprise. And they rely on collecting uh, in using logs all uh, events and information relevant for defending the enterprise. This may include, for example, collecting all packets uh, with, a, with a lot of metadata associated with them, all packets which enter the corporate network. They may log uh, all the login done by users. 
So they really rely on this data collection, plus, of course, those tools have uh, analytics techniques. So the security analyst can inspect the data, can identify anomalous uh, uh, situations in their corporate networks. Another area where uh, this kind of use of big data is really interesting is authentication. Now, authentication, uh, as we know in most cases, is based on simple login name and password. However, uh, it is clear that uh, this simple approach uh, may be uh, a point of vulnerability. And therefore, uh, research and really industry has progressed in providing more articulated authentication techniques. Now, come, uh, keep in mind that usually there is an authentication technique which may be better than others. You also have to understand to mediate between user convenience and strength of your security. So it would be good to have several authentication mechanisms and, and use uh, the one uh, which is better suited for what the user is trying to do. It's a very different case if a user is just want to some, do some browsing on a website. Different case if this user has to access a very sensitive intellectual property file from within an organization. In that case, I may require a stronger authentication to you know, protect against this user being compromised. So there, what we see? We see biometrics, which is a very obvious example. However, if you look from the data collection point of view, now biometrics requires collecting data about the physical traits of the user. So not only now we require the user uh, give me your password, choose a password. Now <laughs> the user is required to protect uh, information about his physical trait. And uh, there is uh, this idea of continuous user authentication, with the idea here being that the system will learn somehow the, way, the behavior of the user while interacting with certain system machine. Once uh, the system will learn uh, this behavior, will continuously monitor the user activities and detect whether there are anomalies. So for example, we said this user always, usually in the morning, does a certain activities. Now he's doing completely something completely different. This is really research which is very much at the beginning. So we require probably a lot of engineering, a lot of research, and a lot of user studies to understand whether it is effective. But certainly the idea here is, is to even collect more data. Now, not only you, the system may collect your physical data, but will also collect your behavioral, the way you, you for example, things like the way you, you look on the screen, you know, even uh, in the future, how you, you move your hands, uh, you know, and things like that. Access control is another area, which again, the idea is that now we have a lot of sophisticated access control techniques, including location-based access control and attribute-based. The idea means if uh, Bob uh, wants to access a file, I may have a policy say, yeah, Bob, uh, uh, can access uh, this file or a user can access this file provided that he has been employed in this company for more than five years, that he is a crypto engineer, and that he is actually located in his office. <laughs> okay, so this means that the system will have to acquire a lot of information. And of course, uh, we can trust uh, the access control system to be a secure system, but keep in mind the more data the system as uh, to accumulate and the more software as uh, to include, uh, 
easier, the, the easier will be to compromise the system. Usually in security, having a smaller, uh, simple system is much better. Homeland protection is another area where uh, people have suggested a lot of users for big data. This goes uh, from identification of risks and relationships among individual and social networks. So you can see who is talking to whom, for which purpose. In theory, this could help in uh, understanding whether there are connections among potential suspects or terrorists, assuming that they are, are, uh, are not so smart and keep using social networks. <laughs> Prediction of uh, potential attacks, but also actually management of emergence and disasters will be really something where big data can help a lot. Because now if uh, the, let's say, uh, an agency in charge of homeland protection and, you know, and management of disasters, if uh, this agency knows a lot about the habits of the people where they usually are, it can do a much more effective job in trying to, for example, deploy equipment, medical equipment, trucks with water, and other similar type of action. Healthcare is another area where the use of big data has been proposed already since a long time ago. One example is monitoring and preventing the spread of disease. And actually, there was a very interesting project by IBM where they mined pulled together a lot of different data, including uh, a type of messages sent among em employees, uh, social networks, and then we combine them with information from the local communities. And they can say, oh, there would be an outbreak, and this will spread to a certain number of individuals. Also, in healthcare, <coughs> big data will be very important. Everyone is today talking about evidence-based healthcare and population healthcare with the goal of uh, trying to provide very personalized health care. So which means, uh, uh, so providing each single individual with a tailored plan for well-being and health care. Now, how do we do this? This requires collecting a lot of data from a lot of individuals. So one can uh, study, understand which are the best uh, treatment, the best lifestyles. Then uh, it would need, of course, uh, to you know, to create uh, these models. And this will require acquiring a lot of data from users. Because at the end, uh, keep in mind that this data that we need uh, to use uh, may include not only medical data that are already perhaps inside of healthcare organizations, but they will require users to provide uh, external data, like uh, how long they walk every day, with whom do they walk, what do they talk when they walk. I've seen a lot of those uh, scenarios what they eat, uh, and so forth. And uh, keep in mind that it may seem difficult for users to provide all this data. In the future, uh, users will not have to do anything. We'll have so many devices, and they can automatically collect the data. They can look at what you have in your refrigerator and send this to your healthcare provider. We'll say, oh, oh I see a lot of wrong products here. <laughs> Already that can infer what you, no, they can infer what you can eat already from there. Okay, so everything looks very exciting. And now we can think about other application. One other area where we are very interested is food security. And food security comes in many different ways. It comes from uh, providing uh, high quality food, uh, which again, uh, 
for each specific individual what is the best for certain people but also may help preventing helping with detecting pathogen from food uh, I, I've talked to some professors in Purdue who they work on this problem of pathogen detection and again it's very important even there to collect a lot of data where these vegetables were planted the quality of the soil for example the quality of the soil has a major influence on the quality of the vegetables for example so with this big data we can really try to combine all this information and then come up with, with the solutions to enhance you know the food quality and the food security however there are some privacy risks in doing uh, all these you know, massive uh, collections of data and so forth. So one uh, important privacy risk, perhaps uh, the most important, is that uh, even if you say, I have an organization which will collect my data, I trust this organization, this organization does a good job, but still, uh, as I mentioned before, in many cases, for data to be useful, they needed to be integrated with the multiple data sources. Suppose that Google has a lot of data about your movement, where your location. Probably to get uh, even more co comprehensive view of your habit, of your lifestyle, this would need to be integrated with what you eat, with your medical record. This requires that organizations have to exchange the integrated data in some way. Now, that's where th there are some security problems, some privacy risks. The first one is that when a piece of data is disseminated to many different parties, chances are that one of such parties may not be doing a good job with data protection. Because, you know, if you say give this data to 100 different, let's say, organizations, can I make sure that all of them are highly secure? Remember, collecting data is, very, is uh, basically good. Uh, people consider data a major asset, but also as a cost. Because organization, especially if the data is uh, sensitive, for example, for privacy, needs to deploy a lot of security techniques to protect uh, this data. Okay, it's not, you know this data is uh, some in, in addition to, of course, having the infrastructure for storing the data. So that that could be risks because of that. And also, another risk is is the following: suppose that you say in order to better protect my data, which are privacy sensitive, I may anonymize the data. Now, anonymizing the data means removing from the data certain pieces of information which may link to specific individual. A very simple example is to say if I have a record uh, which contains the name and social security number of a certain person, I can remove uh, those, those information. In some cases I really don't need it. If, if I'm trying to do some machine learning, to learn about general trends, about users who have been uh, who had the cancer over 10 years, probably I don't need the name of the patient. Of course, if I need the data for operational use, it's another matter, <laughs> because then I have to go to that specific user. But in many cases, you may not need uh, these uh, user identifiers. So you, you may think that if you do so, your data is well protected. And unfortunately, people have shown, and we will have an example just uh, uh, in one second, that even if you do so, still, uh, 
data can be re-identified. This means that the data from which we have removed personal identifiable information can still be linked to another, to the specific user or subject. And this happens when exactly you start combining different data sets. So here uh, is uh, this very nice, probably you have seen this uh, if you have taken the seminar uh, for many years, you have seen uh, this example. And this was a real uh, case that uh, Latanya Sweeney, uh, who was a PhD student at that time, uh, she was uh, doing a, a thesis on, on healthcare data protection. So she shown in her work that's very easy even though you think your data is anonymous, to really break the anonymity. So if you look at this file, the, um, the file which is in the top part, this says uh, a set of records which are uh, medical data released and they are, are supposed to be anonymous. As you can see, in order to anonymize the data, columns like social security number and names have been removed. So you may think that, okay, now I cannot take a record and say this belongs to Bob Smith. Unfortunately, she's shown that if you get, for example, another data set, and in this case she used the voter list, which she, she could easily buy, I'm not an expert on how to get a voting, you know, voter list, but in her papers she mentioned that she just paid a few dollars and, and bought the list. Now you can see that uh, these two data sets have a certain columns in common. In particular, if you notice, if you look at the last record, this record uh, says that there is uh, the date of birth, sex, and zip code. By looking at the voter list with the values that we have in those columns from the last record, we can easily see that this record belongs to um, these users in the voter list. So this means that uh, still uh, you, you, by matching other information about the individual, you can still uh, be able to re-identify the records which are anonymous. Now, since then, the research has made a lot of progresses, and today we have uh, more sophisticated techniques. Um, she proposed the initial approach, which is very well known as a K-anonymity. As you can see, the solution, the initial solution of we may think to address uh, this problem is to even change some of the additional column. In this case, we will need to change the date of birth, the zip code, try to generalize or change those values. So you cannot link this record with only one record in the file, which has the names of the individuals. This is called the K-anonymity. And uh, this is widely known and adopted. The people have shown a lot of attacks. More recently, there is a lot of work on better theoretical approaches based on differential privacy. Uh, and Professor Clifton from our department does a lot of leading work in that area, and also Professor Ningwili. So this is one example showing you that uh, when you start combining <laughs> all this data, that's where you have uh, the problem. Even if you try to do some simple anonymization, that's not so easy. So the real question that we have, uh, and I that I have, I hope you will also agree with me that this is a major question is, uh, can security and privacy be reconciled? In other words, can I still use uh, the data for security purposes and also other purposes? Uh, still, uh, 
have a privacy. Or we are today at the point that if I want to have security, I must give up a privacy. And we should say, we lost our battle with privacy, we just forget, that's how the future will be. Now, at this, of course, uh, when I talk to different people, some are very pessimistic, some uh, are, are more optimistic. I am uh, more a little bit on the optimistic side, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit why. But suppose that we say, yeah, we want to really try to work toward achieving both goals. We want to have uh, both security, but also a reasonable price. So what should we do there? Which are the issues? So let me say, before we move uh, to some ideas and the research agenda, that uh, uh, I looked a little bit around the internet on the web, and there are really a lot of initiatives where people are really asking this problem. The problem of uh, internet rights and principle for, uh, principles is very important. So uh, there are many initiatives and groups uh, worrying, you know, looking about this problem. Mm -hmm. One interesting one uh, is uh, this Internet Rights and Principles uh, Dynamic Coalition. They are working on developing a, a charter of human rights and principles for Internet. So it's uh, very interesting to look at this document. And two important principles for what I'm going to say are the following one. The first is privacy and data protection. So this principle basically says everyone has the right to privacy online. So this means uh, that in the future, this right to privacy online will be perhaps one of the human rights. Yeah. And this may include uh, freedom from surveillance, right to use encryption, and the right to use online anonymity. Of course, uh, you know, again, when you try to really try to think about techniques, uh, you also, on the other hand, want to make sure that those uh, tools or mechanisms we may have available may not be abused by malicious parties. That's unfortunately the problem. So we would say that everyone should have the right to data protection, including control over personal data collection, retention, for how long the data will be retained, processing, disposal and disclosure. And for example, now I see people uh, even worry, when I die, what will happen to my data? Should I leave uh, this data to a relative? So the relative can control the user. I have uh, somebody I know who wrote in his will that all his data will belong to his daughter. Because, uh, you know, this data may remain, <laughs> okay. The other interesting principle is expression and association which, however, for the moment is not so important in, in what we are going to say. So this is uh, one area where people are really worrying and really debating and thinking about this problem. Now, what I want to mention also, that as you can expect, solutions to some of those um, and tools to, to, to address uh, this problem, they will be based on technology. So they will be based on our research, on what we do. But they will also require uh, involving people from social sciences, political sciences, policies, because uh, some of those issues cannot be solved only on a base of technology. As, as always, in most uh, security areas, we have uh, the same problem. There are also interesting initiatives by industry. And uh, um, this is a, a one, one such example. It's called the Global Network Initiative. 
it had uh, some ICT companies participating in it, and they kind of, um, there are some companies which were part of this initiative, the left and so forth, so you have to look at their website. In general, the goal of those companies are, in a way, how, how do they deal with the problem that more and more governments and the law enforcement agencies ask them data about their customers? So uh, a country may tell them, give us all your data about queries done by customers in this region. Okay. And of course, uh, they, need, uh, you know, they need to do something. Okay. Basically, um, they, however, clearly say that they, the companies have to comply with the laws. So if a company is in a country and there is a certain law, they have to comply. It's not that they shouldn't comply. However, uh, what they have to do with respect to privacy, they have to employ protection as much as possible with respect to personal information in all the country where they operate, make sure that the data is well protected, so hackers from that country cannot get hold of the data, and they need to respect and, and protect the privacy rights of users when asked by government to release this data. Okay, and especially they need, uh, of course, uh, to look uh, that what they do is consistent with internationally recognized laws and standards. So here there are some very simple guidelines that they provide to companies. And for example, they are very interesting to read. One would be to say that they would recommend the company to interpret government requests as narrowly as possible. So you have to release uh, some data the government asks. Try to make sure you don't release anything more, exactly what is required in the more narrow possible way. And challenge requests that are not legally binding. So you need uh, to consult the company, will need to look at the, the laws in the country and make sure that the request complies with the laws. They would need uh, possibly establish a clear policy and process in the companies for evaluating and responding uh, to government requests. This is more an organizational issue, but it's very important. And uh, possibly they even suggest uh, uh, that users should be informed about the nature and volume of government demands. At least the users are aware, yes, this government has asked all our data, this is the law, you know, the company had to give the data, but it's good that the users be aware at least of that. And what is very interesting, they even recommend to conduct a human right impact assessment even before entering new markets to make sure, uh, you know, what would be the impact in entering the market on human rights. So this is interesting. Now, this is really most of those guidelines are mainly not technical in a way. But it would be interesting to see, you know, what tools we can do to help, for example, supporting those processes. So now, what about the research side? What can we do as a researcher? Because so far we talked about, yeah, there are initiatives, people are worried, but is there any research that we can do to help with this problem? Now, I have a, a, a good news and bad news. So the good news is that, yeah, there is plenty of exciting research to be done. The cybersecurity community is coming up with a lot of privacy enhancing techniques. There are even conferences specializing on, on privacy enhancing techniques. So it's a very active field. Even though in some cases, many of those techniques only focus on privacy. 
that don't worry, yeah, but if I do all this privacy, can I still use the data? Can I still assure the security, the cyber security? They all, only often look at one side of the problem. The, so this is the good news, it's an exciting area. The bad news is that um, if, uh, if somebody asks us which is uh, the privacy enhancing technique we should use, the reply is that uh, there is uh, no single technique that you can use and will solve all your privacy, security with privacy problem. You need uh, to really look at what you are going to do with the data, how you are going to use uh, the data, for which purposes, and in particular, you may have to combine uh, multiple techniques. As I said before, we have a lot of exciting work, but some still today, some of those techniques, uh, for example, encryption protocols, are not uh, very efficient. So the other problem is a more engineering problem because many of those protocols, really, uh, they don't work efficiently on big data sets. Or if you have a small devices, you have to do authentications on them. <laughs> You know, they may take a long time. So we really needed to do a lot of uh, research engineering work. We needed to be creative. So I want to give you a small samples of some research projects, mainly done here at Purdue, where we address um, some of those issues. So one simple example, a first example is a privacy preserving data matching protocols. So those protocols are really well known in a way, and they solve the following problem. Suppose you have uh, two parties, Alice and Bob. Each one of them has a file. Uh, you can think Alice being uh, the Italian railways, they have the list of all passengers in a given train from Rome to Milan. And then you have another party, which is, uh, for example, uh, um, you know, some government agencies with a list of potential terrorists. Okay, suppose uh, now, I don't know exactly what are the, the laws in Italy on this matter, but suppose that uh, the railway cannot disclose the data to the uh, law enforcement agency, and the law enforcement agencies cannot really disclose the entire data to, to the railway. However, they would agree to try to see if they have a common names in those two lists. So this is an instance of the more general problem of doing secure multi-party data matching. So there are a lot of cryptographic protocols that will solve this problem. So the two parties will engage in this protocol. At the end, each party will get the set of common records in both files. Now, things are more complicated in practice because sometimes you have uh, similarity matching. You may even have a semantic matching, which is even more complicated. But let's stay with the sample problem. So we have those protocols. Unfortunately, uh, we have done a lot of benchmarks. They are very inefficient, so they wouldn't scale. So we got uh, this idea to use a two-step uh, process. The idea being, uh, in a way, when uh, your, your problem, uh, your data is too big, can you try to reduce uh, the size of the data you really need uh, to match? So we, we, we got uh, this idea from multimedia query processing. The idea was that if you have to apply very complicated algorithm to, for example, search for certain objects within an image, with a, a, long, a big set of images, and those algorithms can be very complex to execute. So what you can do, you would try to do a preliminary filter 
for example, using some initial metadata, which allow you to discard all images that for sure don't contain the object you are looking for. And then you can go get the remaining object and apply to them the more sophisticated algorithm. So you will remove a lot of objects. Still, you may have objects in your remaining set which still do not verify your query, but at least you have removed a lot. So those strategies were used a lot in uh, multimedia query processing. So we had the same idea. We say, can we do a preliminary step before the cryptographic protocols in which we do what we call a partitioning or, or a phase in which we, the two parties will exchange some preliminary information data which, allow, which would allow each party to discard the data that for sure will not match. And then on the remaining data, we will perform the actual cryptographic matching. And this turns out to be very effective. And of course, uh, the, the, then there are a lot of variations. Which preliminary information do you exchange? The first, first paper approach was uh, to exchange anonymized the data. So which means you apply K anonymity, so you generalize the data, remove identifiers, and then uh, two records was a corresponding anonymized record do not match, will not match for sure, so we can remove them. The remaining one may still not match, but then you have to check them. Then uh, we applied the differential privacy in which we release, we partition the data files in several partitions and we exchange some statistics. Okay, now this uh, is quite effective. So we got a very good results showing that we can do this matching with very large data sets. This required a lot of engineering. So the student also used some cluster computing to do more activities in parallel. What uh, is very interesting that came up from this result was, of course, uh, um, it's very important to define uh, proper security models. Because in a way, when we combine uh, the cryptographic primitives, which have uh, their own security model, with differential privacy, which is a different security model, we realized that our initial protocol had some leakage, was not secure. Then uh, that's we had uh, to revise it. Uh, and sometimes, uh, in a way, we wonder uh, which is a good model because there are very different techniques. How can we reason on the security of the combination of those techniques? Of course, we have uh, open issues, which are scalability, support for complex matching, such as a semantic matching. And the student who did the most of the work is looking now in matching graphs. Now, another very interesting work is privacy-preserving collaborative data mining. So this work was initiated by Professor Clifton with his uh, PhD student Murat Kantersoglu. Now, this was an interesting problem. I have N parties which want to do data mining on the union of, of their data set. So each party has a data set. But they want to combine these data sets. For example, data set, you can have that one data set that has only certain information. Another data set may have other information. So all, only certain columns are present in each file. For example, you may have that one file has a medical record about individual, another file has the shopping habit of, of the same set of individuals. For you to do ma machine learning, data mining, you want to combine this data set. 
So you may even want to say, if somebody does a lot of shopping, this implies that he, this person is stressed, there is some problem. So you can even think about this possible question you may ask. Okay. But that means bringing the two data sets together. So you needed to combine them. So the goal of this problem was how can we do this data mining on the combined, that logically combined data set without actually combining them? So that each party can keep his own data set private. So, um, and this is called the privacy preserving collaborative data mining. So multiple parties want to collaborate, but they want to keep private its own, you know, each party wants to keep private its own data set. However, they want to share the result. So there, uh, uh, this work uh, addressed the, the, um, developed a lot of techniques for uh, um, classification tree mm -hmm. and, and other type clustering, I believe, and so forth. But this was very pioneer work. This shows you that this is a solution that we can use when we want to do data mining on our data. Okay, so this is a classical example where, yes, if uh, uh, this, the, the goal of putting together our data is for data mining, we could use uh, this solution. Now, this was a very early work, and I don't know whether it was done 10 years ago or so, but uh, today, you know, it's important to, for example, uh, continue this type of research, assuring scalability. Can we use a cloud? At that time, uh, this approach was completely distributed. So parties were, but cloud can be used as a way to allow the party to communicate indirectly. Today, we have a more cryptographic primitives. Can we have a, even a more efficient implementation of those primitives? So can we leverage some of them? We have a privacy preserving biometric authentication, which is our own work where uh, we want to make sure so biometrics authentication works that when you enroll into the biometric system, the system will extract uh, some features, for example, from your fingerprint. Those are called the minutia, are, are specific feature extracted from your fingerprint. And so they're stored in some database, and whenever you need uh, to be authenticated, the system will acquire your fingerprint again and will match the fingerprint in the database. This is for authentication. That can be used for identification, which is a different security task. Our goal has been uh, uh, to support this without requiring uh, this fingerprint to, to be exchanged in clear. Okay, so we want to use a different, so that uh, the database server storing the fingerprint uh, doesn't, does not really store the fingerprints at all stores uh, some information extracted from them, from which is not possible to reconstruct the original fingerprint. There are many other approaches doing that, because a fingerprint and the biometric is very sensitive, because people may think if my biometric is, is stolen, uh, I cannot change it, unfortunately. But there are uh, various ways to deal uh, you know, also with this problem. So basically, this is another area where uh, you can come up with creative solution. Uh, we have other work. So this is really gives you a sample. And again, there is a lot of nice work ongoing at Purdue in many other institutions. Now, I wanted to conclude the talk by talking briefly about uh, a broader perspective, which we call a research agenda. Now, this is the result of a workshop which was funded by NSF and, uh, and was held in 2014 at the University of Texas in Dallas. There were many people, including Professor Clifton, myself, uh, 
many researchers in the area where we discuss the, uh, the security, uh, security and privacy for big data. Here, uh, in this slide and the next, I'll briefly discuss what were some of the topics that people agreed that those are important topics. Now, you can come up with other uh, topics as well. Some of those, again, uh, cannot be addressed only on a technical basis. So first of all, which are the domains for which security with privacy is critical? Healthcare is one of them. It would be good to identify many such domains, do a detailed analysis, what is the use of data in that domain, what are the privacy requirements. Which are the policy issues related to the use of data for security? Uh, an important problem here is uh, the ownership of the data. This comes up all the time. So in computer sciences, we have uh, this idea that I create a file, I am the owner of the file, and usually I control who access my file. This is a very nice view, but it is very low level. At the higher levels, we need a more sophisticated uh, approach. Typically, suppose I taken a picture with a lot of friends of mine in a restaurant, and that's how this was taken on this day. Now, I posted this on some social networks, or a bunch of social networks. So should, uh, I, um, should uh, my friends who are in the picture have to, would have the ability to say something, to say, no, I don't want this picture to be posted? Because in a way, even though I am uh, the owner, but they perhaps are also <laughs> involved in this picture in some way. So, and there are many other cases that if you think carefully, they, they come across with this problem. So perhaps a different approach would be to use the notion of stakeholder of the data. The idea being that when you have a piece of data, you have multiple parties which have an interest in this data, and they have a certain right. And of course, one has to define what those rights could be. They will have to negotiate. But somebody was talking to a lawyer by a major IT company, actually. And the lawyer was here for talking about educational activities at Purdue. But we discussed about this matter. And for me, this is interesting, is when somebody rents a house, this person has uh, some rights, but also the owner of the house has, has uh, other rights. And you know, they have a way to collaborate all together. Which uh, research advance? So is control by users possible in all domains? If you look at uh, a lot of proposals, including this uh, human rights chart, they say users should be able to control what happened to their data. Now, this is easy to say. This implication may be very far-reaching, because I don't think it's always possible for the users to really control the user of the data. An organization has uh, to, may have uh, some confidentiality issues there. So the question is, uh, what should be told uh, to the user? No, how can they control the, the data even when they're not able to really understand what's going on in the company? And they perhaps don't need uh, to see that. Which research advances do we need uh, uh, to reconcile security with privacy? For sure, we need efficient techniques for doing computation on encrypted data. We need the protocols and system, efficient implementation of cryptographic primitives. We need the privacy preserving data mining techniques. And so um, we need the privacy aware software engineering. Here uh, is a, the, another question, and then I'll uh, probably conclude with this. How do we balance personal privacy with collective security? At the end, it's a personal choice. 
And so the question is, uh, how can we present information to users so that they can understand, that they can make choices? And this is not really trivial. Personally, I am very happy to give them a medical data for medical research. I understand that medical research is important. But I want to know what is the use of this data. I want to be assured that it will only be used for research, not for commercial purposes. I want to make sure that my data is well protected. Because you know, if this organization can easily, you know, has a lot of breaches, then I will feel very insecure about my data. So I'll stop here, and uh, so if you have questions, I have another slide, but you know, about this, yeah. Having seen this presentation in a couple earlier this semester and last, do you think there's room for honest brokers? In other words, okay. organizations that could tell the parties that own the data, yeah. listen, yeah. there's a researcher out there that yeah. needs to do this job. Yeah. Uh, they need access to your information. Yeah. What we will do is we will guarantee privacy yeah. when all this information is brought together. Yeah. The researcher will not see it. Yeah. The parties providing the authorized data won't see the others. And, and, and if you approve this process for a fee, we'll be happy to process it yeah. for you. Yeah, that's a very good question, and for which there is not an easy answer, because typically doing this type of job may require resources. It's not that it's free because uh, you will have uh, this organization would have to have a server, provide uh, anonymous login, uh, a lot of those techniques. So they may depend. They could be volunteer organizations. They may do so. In some cases, organizations, if they are interested in getting the data, they may really try to develop such type of you know unit to address uh, the problem. And there is uh, the question of incentives. Because uh, if you start asking, also users, it may depend on them. Some users may say, I'm willing to pay something to have my privacy. <laughs> Other users do not care. Uh, so, but that would be interesting. Uh, uh, you know, usually it would be very difficult to ask a government to take care of that. That may depend on the countries, but certainly probably, and also <laughs> you may worry about what the government will do with the data. Uh, that's a good question. Okay, other questions? Okay, if not, uh, uh, I think uh, we can conclude uh, the talk and thank you for uh, your time. Okay.